Horses don't eat only grass. This is a myth. It is something that's been brought into our culture for a long time, putting horses on one type of grass fields. There's nothing worse for them. Hmm. Just as humans, we get our nutrients, our minerals and vitamins for various things. So like my horses here, yes, there's grass. They eat banana leaves, they eat bananas, they eat papayas, they eat hibiscus bushes, hibiscus leaf, they eat heliconia leaves, all the different types of herbs. So you're listening to the Sharing Insights Podcast, a show where we explore stories, strategies, and insights from ecologically and socially beneficial projects throughout Costa Rica. These stories provide landowners everywhere access to unique ideas to inspire better business models for greater success and impact. My name is Jason, and I'm a co-founder of one of these unique places. I've been visiting with other owners of impact centers to discuss the successes, challenges, and insights that they've earned along the way. Join me on the adventure. A more sustainable world awaits. Today's episode takes us on a journey through natural horse care, permaculture land maintenance, and herbal medicine. Our guest, Terry Newton, is both a visionary as well as a stable base for the unique project that she's created called Kindred Spirits. Terry shares concepts with us such as using the breath as a tool to calm oneself in preparation for tuning in and connecting to the vibrational state of a horse before working with it. We also touch on the difference between managing a land project and stewarding a land project. Beyond that, you'll find useful tips such as unshoeing horses, stable care, and other maintenance rituals. But before we jump into today's interview, I want to offer a moment of gratitude and shout out to Jean-Marc, who made a generous donation to the Kofi platform, for which I offered him a bit of my time to discuss his no-dig market garden in CSA, as well as some strategies he may want to consider in recreating that program here in Costa Rica. It was a pleasure to get to know you, Jean-Marc. Thanks for supporting the show. If you have a project that you'd like to discuss with me, there is an option at ko-fi.com forward slash sharing insights for you to make a contribution to the show and schedule a time to pick my brain for ideas, resources, and even connections that might in turn support you on your path. That being said, I am very eager and grateful to present Terry Newton. I am here today on the Caribbean coast of Costa Rica with Terry Lillian Newton of Kindred Spirits Wellness Center. Hi, Terry. Hi. Terry has a super interesting program. Not only does she have a beautiful, ecologically mindful estate here, but Terry works with horses. Terry grew up with horses. Terry also grew up on a sailing boat, which I'm interested to hear more about. But for the last 25 years, she's been in Costa Rica. And since 2012, she has had this place. She's had a restaurant in town and a hotel. But with her horses, she doesn't run your standard horse trekking business. She focuses her horse adventures uh, to take people to explore ecological conservation efforts, as well as a very interesting yoga teacher training program. She brings uh, yoga practice into the corral, I guess. And that's another bit that I'm just really to hear so much more about. I know my son uh, has special needs and and horse therapy is something Amazing. that, yeah, he loves horses. And there's something about those creatures that really tune into a different side of us. Mm-hmm. So your work with horses and yoga is super interesting. Terry also has been working with permaculture methods here on her farm 
and is moving now with the pandemic into some online courses, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But first, Terry, I want to hear a little bit of story about how did you decide to own land in Costa Rica and invite people in to do horse yoga? Okay, well, it's a long story, but I will try to make it as short as possible. I was born in Canada, of course, and I grew up with horses in the country. And that was back in the 60s, and my parents already back then, they were sort of wanting to veer away from the materialistic world and travel. They wanted a different life for me. They wanted to have a relationship with their daughter instead of working and hardly seeing me. And they also wanted to experience the world and see what was out there. So they actually sold everything, to my dismay, because I lost my horses and everything. But um, And they bought a boat, which they knew nothing about. We learned along the way, and we sailed the seas. And we basically traveled in a lot of countries, taking our home with us. That was a very important part of, for my father. Let's travel, but he wanted to have his home. He didn't want to carry luggage and baggage around with him. So we learned to sail, and we sailed at the beginning a lot in Europe, and um, from England to France, and then in the Mediterranean, and spent a lot of time living in the countries, not just sort of passing through. So it was really not like... Um, tourism or vacation, it was really we'd come to a port and maybe we'd spend two, three months there and then we'd move on into the next. And we really lived with the locals and the people and they got to know them and the experiences as well as other people living on boats and traveling around the world in a, in a very similar way. So that was really interesting and I met my first husband on a boat as well, French, and we started a charter business of sailing in Greece and Turkey. And we're very much in sort of integrated in that part of the world doing that, which is beautiful and amazing and historical and so much going on. And the people are fascinating too. My daughter was born in Paris. During that time, my parents had separated. My mother was living with her French, her French husband and they sold their boat and they were living in Spain and decided they wanted a new adventure. And they came to South America and then Latin America looking for a new place to live in a new adventure, something to start, something else. And they discovered Costa Rica. They came to Costa Rica. They traveled around, and they fell in love with the Caribbean side, the Caribbean energy, the, with the Jamaican culture, and the beauty of the place. And so they built back in 91 a small boutique-like hotel. It was one of the, at that time, there was just a lot of cabinas, bungalows. There was maybe one hotel, Atlantida. There wasn't much going on. And for instance, Puerto Viejo, there was nothing here. There was one restaurant, one hotel. And so they built that, and I came to visit in 92 and fell in love with the place. And at that time, my daughter, she was two years old, and I really wanted um, to um, establish myself on the ground again and come back into connection with horses. I wanted to plant, to, to feel the land, and leave the boat life that we'd lived for so many years. So we came back in 95, and uh, I was a chef by profession on the boats that we did as well. So, and I worked in different places. So we first opened up a restaurant. Um, my parents, they passed away, and so I inherited the hotel, which I ran for a while. And that was a beautiful experience. It was a beautiful place. It was a very small property, 3,500 square meters. Um, I had horses. I started having horses again. And I was also a yogi, practicing my yoga. And I was a little bit sort of um, stuck in the tourism business that I've been in for so many years on the boats and now again here. And it wasn't something that was enriching my life anymore. It really wasn't. People would come one day, two days, and then off they go. We're in establishing connections and really sharing experiences the same way. So I started already at the hotel incorporating a bit my yoga and then starting doing some horse treks and that sort of thing. 
and building that business. And during that time, I really discovered this connection of yoga and horses. What introduced you to the idea? Well, it was just like I practiced yoga and do my own practice of yoga, as well as going to um, a beautiful, amazing Buddhist woman who lived nearby and was giving yoga classes on her deck over the sea. So I was also part of that in her meditational practices. And my life, I went through a lot of trauma. My mother passed away. My stepfather passed away. My um, two divorces. So a lot of trauma, a lot of grief different problems like that. So yoga really helped me stay grounded and connected and saved me. And my time that I spent with my horses, my rides with them, galloping on the beach, swimming in the sea with them, just this connection I had helped me stay alive, really. And so I just found that the energy and the calmness that I found through yoga was the same with horses. Mm. Through that, through from a physical thing, I saw that everything that I did as far as posture work, asanas in, in yoga, and breathing pranayama was really helpful in your riding. It grounded you, it gave you core strength, your breath, using your breath to breathe deeply, and using your breath to connect to your body, you could also use your breath to connect with the horse and influence the horse's energy. At the same time, the horse's energy could help us, or help me, in my meditation practice, because their energy, their vibration is at a certain frequency. And when we enter meditation, we enter the same frequency as they do, as they are in. So it calms them, and they enjoy being in our presence more. And at the same time, their energy calms us and helps us to go into meditation with more ease. Their, the electromagnetic field of their heart is far bigger than ours. And they also have a very rhythmic heartbeat, boom, boom. Whereas humans, we are ba-boom, ba-boom. So this rhythmic heartbeat just influences our heartbeat, and and just calms us. Mm. It also helps us to release the happy hormones, oxytocin, within us. Just like babies and puppies, when we look at them, it, our hearts start to open up. It's because they, through their, I forget what it's called exactly right now, but it um, releases the oxytocin within us. And we are, you know, endeared and want to nurture and help and feel happy. And horses have that same thing. And that's why horses are so amazing, like in equine therapy. And then with children, you have a horse with an adult will be one way. You bring in children, that horse is a completely other horse. The children's energy are also at a different level. And children who have different disabilities and their frequency is at a different level as well. And horses are very in tune to that. Mm -hmm. And they are just very, um, they're in tune to it. They're compassionate. They're without judgment. And this is so healing and so amazing. So anyway, so I found this connection, how yoga could help me be a better rider, how yoga could help me connect with my horse at a deeper level, and how horses could help um, me in my yoga practice, in my meditation practice, in my pranayama practice. And I just thought it was magical, and I wanted to start creating and working with that. So I did start bringing that element into it. So having the hotel, like I said, I, was, I just felt it was time for me to move on. And so I put it up for sale, and that was like four years ago. I'd already started the yoga practice. I started doing the yoga teacher training, using my hotel as a base for the yoga teacher trainings and the students. I was trying to change the business into something that I could um, have passion for and enthusiasm and find my joy and reason for living. And I wanted to share that with other people that, yes, were like-minded, but also needed help, that were searching but didn't know really where to go. And so I started drawing that type of person and clientele into my life through the hotel by switching the way I was selling my business online. 
so I attracted different types of people. And so bit by bit, I was starting to switch that part of the hotel. And then I sold the hotel. And my dream was really to buy a farm big enough for the horses, a bigger land. So this is almost four hectares altogether. Place for the horses to really roam free, to be able to um, grow organically the foods we needed and food for the horses as well. And to create a center of wellness where people could come together, not just to learn, but also to experience and to share together. So when the volunteers and interns come to us, it's I am their teacher, yes, but also they come to me and they teach me as well. They're different gifts that they have. It's really a sharing experience. And I wouldn't want to sort of say community because sometimes that has resonance in different ways and people are like, oh no, community and everything else. But it is really about sharing your life together in a community, you know, and helping each other and growing and helping people to um, find their path and purpose in life. So a lot of guests that I've had are students and interns. It's made a big shift in their life. And in the yoga teacher trainings, that is a, a big part of it. There's a shift that happens. They come, often they come looking for a physical practice, you know, for yoga and to be healthier, etc. But there's a shift that starts as the energy starts to change and they start to look more inwards and what, what is important in their lives and how they can make a difference maybe in the world or in their own life or with others. And the added part of the horses really helps them. Even if people don't know anything about horses, when their presence of horses, blockages are released. Things, emotions that they didn't even know they were holding on to are released. And this helps them a lot. So this was really why I wanted to buy the farm here and create that, as well as having a permaculture and starting that adventure of permaculture, which I didn't have a lot of experience, basically at all, in the hotel. On 3,000 square meters, I did have four horses, four dogs, cats, a parrot, and chickens. We had about 18 chickens. My younger daughter started with three chickens, which grew and grew and grew until we had about 18 chickens. And a hotel with rooms and swimming pool and a restaurant area. So it's small. So imagine that I somehow, intuitively, because my knowledge wasn't very big, managed to create a very balanced ecosystem. And I had a man called Juan who created Rancho Margo and Arenal. I don't know if you've heard of that, yeah? I have. Uh, I met him years ago through other friends, and he used to come visit me in the hotel, and I'd switch and go up and visit up there. So we interchanged that way. And he was walking around my property one day, and I was thinking, oh, my God, what is he going to say? All the things I've done wrong. Okay. <laughs> and he came up to me and said, I can't believe it. In this little place, you've got everything so echo-balanced here. It's incredible. You know, I'm just amazed. You've, the chickens are keeping the flies down. They're turning the soil over and attracting this. And he explained to me what I'd done that I actually didn't even know how I'd done it. But it kind of just intuitively made sense to me. So that said, you can really do on a small property, have animals, big animals, small animals, tourists, and everything else, and still be functional and not um, be out of balance in the ecosystem. So that was amazing. And so now with having a bigger property, which has its own challenges as well, and you have to look at it at a very different aspect because there's a lot of land, so it's not like you micromanage anymore. You sort of, I've learned now to work with the land and let certain parts just be and grow, which is really important because you have all the microsystems of the fungus, of the insects, of the ants. I mean, we have tons of ants here, but they all have their reasons, so we're learning to adjust with all these different animals that live here as well with us and how the trees and what so many people call weeds and want to destroy, how that is so important 
as well because they all have their function. And a little story on the side is years ago in the hotel, I once a month I had a professor, botanical medicinal plant professor from Costa Rica University. He'd come down and give us classes on the weekend so we could learn about more medicinal plants. He's read several books in Costa Rica around in the Pacific, and he'd written, he lived in here 10 years and written a book about that as well. And just walking around in my little hotel area, we found over 40 medicinal plants growing there naturally that I hadn't even planted. And for him, it was like everywhere, all plants are medicine, have a medicinal purpose. So I think it's really important for people who are coming to live here. You see a lot of that, especially from Western countries coming in and flattening everything out and wanting to grow their beautiful gardens instead of working with the land and what's here already and working with that and together with that. And that's, I mean, one of my biggest advice and also pet peeves when I see people coming is tearing everything up, cutting trees down, cutting plants, taking the wild bromeliads out, and not working with that instead. They're, that's yeah. very important. It's the difference between managing a land project and stewarding a land project. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I sold the hotel, I had that still feeling of ownership. When we bought this land, I remember sitting up on the mountain, you know, thinking of where we were going to build, and I just felt, I don't own this land. It's not mine. I'm mm -hmm. just a caretaker for a while. There's trees that are 400 years here. I'm just passing through, a little person passing through, and I wanted to do my best to not disturb the natural life system that was already here. Such valuable wisdom. Yeah, I, you know, we, we started our project and did a mix of managing and stewarding it for a number of years, and then I went away for a few years, and I came back about a year ago, and it became so clear to me, so beautifully clear, that I was no longer really responsible for managing the property. Mm -hmm. It had a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And it was a little difficult, I think, back in the day for me to really appreciate that because so much of the life that was its own was our love. It was our care, our attention, mm -hmm. our effort. And we definitely left it better than we found it. You know, it, our efforts and management and stewardship were, for the most part, well-placed. And yet it was difficult, I think, for, I'll, I'll speak for myself, for me to really see and feel and understand the neutral spirit of where we were, of the land, of the region, because I was so preoccupied with what I wanted to do to make it better. Mm -hmm. And it's super valid. We made it better. Legitimately, we've got the most biodiverse farm for miles in any direction. But unfortunately, I was so wrapped up in what we were doing it to make it that way, it was really difficult to see its own wholeness, its own spirit, its own uniqueness. Yeah, outside of our efforts, outside of my ego, really, is what it it's comes a, it down to. It is really about the yeah. ego, but it's human. That's how we've evolved as well. We have constantly this desire to satisfy ourselves in so many ways, create things. I mean, that's how we've evolved, obviously. So when we can get past those goals and those desires, which are, can be amazing, but if we can sort of let go of our attachment to it and say, okay, I really feel if we see something, we say, I, this, I imagine creating this, but then step out of our ego mm -hmm. and actually see how things are. Mm -hmm. It does take time 
It does yeah. take time. And that first permaculture principle of observe and interact, it's a cyclical process. Mm-hmm. You observe, you interact. Yes. Step back, observe, interact. Step back, observe, interact. And do that over a protracted period of time is really where we get uh, to understand deeper. And so, yeah, I'm glad to find myself in that place. <laughs> and it sounds like you've been following that process through and through. Yeah, live and learn. I mean, it's not always been easy. Sometimes you do want to push things. Mm-hmm. And what happens? You just give yourself more work because right. it's not going to work. You right. know, you always have the desires. Oh, I want this type of vegetable to grow here because I really want to eat it. And, you, you know, you're going to fight through the process. And it's like, yeah, it's not happening. Right. <laughs> you, know, you have to stick with what actually grows naturally here as a basis and then through trial and error, see what other things you can actually introduce. But it does take um, that moment to really just let things happen and watch for a while as well. Wow. You save time, I think, in the end. So one thing that I was really interested in exploring with you, and I don't know really where this would fall. It sounds like, it feels like the idea for a landowner to buy a horse or horses mm-hmm. to have part of their life, whether it's for companionship and healing as if as in your your yoga classes or if it is in having an animal to work the land with you which can be done in a very beautiful loving mm-hmm. co-supportive way or f- fulfilling a fantasy mm-hmm. which i think would be a lot of reason that people get a horse some people just really want something other than a car to move around their neighborhood and move stuff around their farm and to just have a horse to go fun riding with there's a lot of reasons why someone would get a horse and I think they're it's one of those things that doesn't just for some people they fall into a horse I actually have a really uh, we have a friend that lived at the farm with us for years and she was gifted a horse when someone passed away so I you can just have a horse gifted upon you and yet even then it was a horse that wasn't really ridden much because there wasn't a lot of preparation or really uh, attunement to that at the time so I would like to hear from you some advice for people that are either fantasizing about having a horse or they have a plan for having a horse to work the land with them or they just really feel have known horses and they finally just want to have a property where they can have some horses and whether they're doing yoga classes which is super niche and unique or any of these other practices that people do with horses what are some of the things that you feel that people should really deeply consider before taking that step well first of all the property you live on that's going to be important you can't be in a dense jungle area and expect your horses to thrive because what's going to happen is you're going to have to bring in a lot of hay and produce for the horse which is costly so unless you have lots of money it's going to cost a lot of money I do supplement my horses with hay at night and grain but during the day they're outside that said it's not like you, you're going to have, okay, you think, oh, horses need this gigantic big properties of just pure grass. Mm. Horses don't eat only grass. This is a myth. It is something that's been brought into our culture for a long time, putting horses on one type of grass fields. There's nothing worse for them. Mm. Just as humans, we get our nutrients, our minerals and vitamins for various things. So like my horses here, yes, there's grass, They eat banana leaves, they eat bananas, they eat papayas, they eat hibiscus bushes, hibiscus leaf, they eat heliconia leaves, all the different types of herbs. So 
through my um, studies and watching them, what they eat and what they don't eat. A lot of people have asked me, but aren't you afraid? Because you know, we have poisonous plants as well, right? Um, won't the horse, if that, there's a certain white flower here we have that's a medicinal plant, but it's highly poisonous. And it grows sporadically just around everywhere. And they say, aren't you afraid about your horse eating that? No. A horse will only eat something poisonous if it's starving. As long as it's had food, horses know their lips will choose one blade of glass, grass away from the, um, the poisonous. Just like that. Tuk, 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 tuk. A horse would really have to be very, very hungry and in starvation to actually eat something poisonous. Or, which is another danger, if you cut grass yourself and feed it and it's chopped up in there. It's much better to let the horse graze naturally. Or if you are cutting long grass, like I do grow long grass, for instance, high grass, a certain type with high protein, on the steep cliffs where the horses can't go, and that we grow. But that is a type of grass that, you know, it stops all anything else growing. So then you want to be sure of that. But other than that, variety is the answer, and that they have enough space to move around. It doesn't have to be a big property, but you want to create somehow, there's books called Paddock Paradise, which are systems for the horse to help the horses move through the property. Did you say paddock? Paddock paradise. P-O-D-D-O-C-K? Yeah. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. It is interesting. I don't completely agree with it all. I think it's it's really good for where a lot of dry land is. For the jungle, I find it keeps them too narrow, and there's going to be a lot of muddy areas. So like, for instance, I've opened up most of my property and protected the areas, whether it's the vegetable garden, because otherwise they're going to eat my vegetable garden for sure or around the house or the yoga area or different things because they literally they, they eat the flowers my horses will they'll walk in here and start eating the ferns and everything else there's so much they eat naturally that is going and they know also the meditative plants to heal them naturally there is a uh, you'll see it on the roadside those little yellow flowers locally they call them marigolds which is kind of a word from marigolds but they're not marigolds but these little plants are very good for the kidneys and urinary system and all of a sudden, you'll see them eating them like crazy. So they want to cleanse their, their kidneys, for instance, or their urinary system. Other times, they'll eat a lot of hibiscus flowers, which are full of vitamin C. Or they'll eat a certain type of bark. Or they'll chew on different types of stones for calcium and things. If you watch them, you'll see all the things, just like the wild mustangs, wild horses do. So it's really nice to keep as much variety as you can. And you'll save money that way. And you're getting your horse a lot of minerals. I'll collect seaweed that washes up on the beaches, for instance and bring them up. Now, some of my horses don't like it, but a lot of them do. So you want to think variety. And what might don't go into the classical thing that maybe what you've been taught or learned, you know, the stables, the hay, the grain, and only green grass. Mm. You, there's so much more variety. And I will be doing, I, I'm planning to do some online uh, courses for that or workshops locally for weekends coming for a day to introduce people how they can add this to the, and also how to use the medicinal plants, how to use the clay we have here to heal for skin issues and fungus. And when you were in a lot of like jungle areas or clay areas in different parts of Costa Rica, which we have everywhere, you want to be really careful because of the high humidity. There's a lot of fungus Mm -hmm. and they get that in their feet and they get that in their skin. But there's different ways to treat it and work with it and so it doesn't become a problem. And uh, yeah, so that, those would be the challenges. So you really want to study yourself, observe as well, and then get help where you can. And there's probably not a lot of sources in Costa Rica for that type of help with horses, natural medicine, and what to eat naturally. So that's why I decided to put it together because so many people keep asking. So I do want to do that. 
to help. And that's people. the online course that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, I want to put it like I'll be, maybe sort of I'll have a podcast, maybe a YouTube, maybe an online course as well, and also where people might want to come for a weekend and do a half day or a full day course. I also do, for instance, like barefoot trimming, no shoes. It's you really want to stay away putting shoes on horses in this country because of the fungus. Oh. Yeah, and shoes aren't necessary. It's a man-made thing. And it comes back from the times during the the medieval times, let's say. Medieval, did I say medieval? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, um, or the kings and everywhere, where they had the horses starting to lock them up in stables instead of being free-roaming horses. So they're, they were in wet, dirty mm. bed of the stalls, and they started having feet problems, thrushes. And so then they got lame and they couldn't walk. So humans decided, oh, well, let's put these contraptions on so my horse won't feel the earth and then won't be sore and I can still ride them. It doesn't really take the problem away. It's like putting a Band-Aid on. And the, but you can imagine if you the hoof is a living thing. It's like our nail. Yeah. So you put a hole through there. You're just inviting the mm-hmm. fungus to thrive and the thrush to thrive in that. So you really want to stay away from that. And horses aren't meant to have shoes. It's just the human way that now we think, oh, they have to have shoes because they're going to be sore. Well, yes, they might all of a sudden, oh, that stone hurt me, just like we would. But at the same time, it makes them much more sure-footed because they're feeling their way through the land. If wild horses did it for 60 million years, there's no reason why horses today all of a sudden need to have shoes. Now, if you buy a horse that has shoes, there's going to be a transition period. Some horses, you take the shoes off, and they're fine from the start. I had another horse that took me two years. So what I did when I went out riding or trekking, you have these boots that you can buy. You have to buy them in the States or Europe. They don't have them here, but you can get them on eBay, secondhand, etc. And you put them on when you're riding. And then when they're in the field and natural, you just let them. And then bit by bit, they harden, just like we would put cal- sorry, calluses on our feet. Um, we start, they start to get stronger hooves. The form of their hooves start to become healthier. They become sure-footed and everything else. I mean, that's really a big thing um, well, That's good news. I've to. never heard anybody talk about yeah. unshoeing their horses. Yeah, yeah. There's oh, a cool. lot of um, material out there one can read, and I, I will be giving some classes in that too. And um, I did have, like, I had a, a local farrier that I trained to do this, and now he, he does both still. But he goes out and also for people who want to barefoot. And there's on the Pacific coast. Years ago, I got into this because one of my horses went lame, got very sick. So I wanted to find a new way to help her. And I discovered barefoot trimming in the States. And this woman, she was very well known in the States. And she helped me and guided me and taught me everything online. I sent pictures and she showed me. And then we decided to host a clinic here many years ago. And I did it up in San Jose in this riding stables. Invited vets, breeders of Costa Rica. And oh, what was his name? They had, what was it called? Horse vacation. They were near Hako. Um, Christopher. Chris. Chris. Chris is his name. They still live there. And he was already starting to learn through the same woman as I did. And she came. So he, he came up and took the class as well. So on the Pacific side, I definitely recommend him. I can. Yeah, we'll, we'll another get that time from I'll give you. you the information. I'll put it in the show notes for the listeners. Yeah. Really nice guy. And she does natural horsemanship training as well. So they're very good people. I would recommend if you're living on the Pacific Coast that you could meet up with them probably for people who are interested. That's great to hear. I have a question. It's curious. I haven't uh, talked to many people about with uh, horses, but I know with animals, one of the kind of in the permacultural or organic-minded circles, 
the topic of antibiotics is one of those things, and people don't want to give antibiotics to their cows because it comes out in the milk, and that's mm-hmm. super reasonable. Uh, I know myself, I try to stay away from them, but there's been times in my life where I've had to have antibiotics. Have you been able to avoid antibiotics with your natural methods? Yes and no. Okay. Okay, so for me, what's important in life is balance. Right. I'm not sort of black and white. I think there is something with Western medicine that's very important, especially for humans and animals in an acute moment, whether it's something that's acute that happens in the moment, extreme pain where you need an operation, or if you're heavily infected. Yeah, like a staph infection on the yeah, tailbone, you just you do what you got to do. And people yeah. who try, it just gets worse and worse. I know that from my own experience and from many other people's experience. And most of the healers that I know, I'm a healer as well. I work with a lot of things. I'm also a Reiki master, an energy healer. I will use everything, especially for um, anything that is not acute, which is um, long-term illnesses. that are. This helps a lot with animals when we're using energy or medicinal plants and all these things, homeopath, I use a lot of that, essential oils, etc. That works really well with, I'm missing the word, acute symptoms and long-term, let's say, the diseases that we hold within our body. So that's at a very vibrational um, level. So that's where it really helps. And also medicinal plants. There are things will happen, like if you get a cut, a little infection, mosquito bites, different things. Papilomoya, there is that the white flower that works for it. There are oh, things that work, yeah. There are things that work. But sometimes you have to resort. And it's like with my horses. Like I use, for instance, if we get sick, um, a cold or a flu, first of all, it's vinegar. If it's a sore throat, vinegar and um, honey, honey. That's one of the best remedies, really, for a sore throat and any infections mm-hmm. in the throat. And then honey is a very strong antibiotic. And so is garlic. So I'll cut garlic up really tiny, mixing it with honey, three spoons a day is a really natural. And most flus and colds, we all get by with that. I do it for the animals as well. But if it gets really serious, and if you're getting phlegm that's going green and it's heavily infected, you do not want to stay there because you will damage your lungs. So then that's when you need to treat. So I like to see antibiotics because if you overuse it as well, you're not going to have the same reaction and result. And one day when you're very sick, you're going to need it. So um, you don't want to become resistant to it. But when you need it, it's good to use it. Yeah, that's an important topic. It's something I know we we came up mostly with our our goats because Mm -hmm. goats are not tropical animals. And goats are very susceptible to illnesses Mm -hmm. down here. And we, we labored so many hours and days and so much time we spent trying to naturally cure our goats of things and many times it worked and it took a lot of effort but it was worth it mm-hmm. and there were other times it was just like man this animal is suffering mm-hmm. we need to really do what we need to do for it and so I just I feel like it's a an important topic for people that have an idealism of starting their animal husbandry adventures mm-hmm. that yeah that moment's going to come up of illness and there are a lot of great ways to take care of the horses naturally but and maybe you can share a little list with us that I can post for the listeners. Yeah. Make a little document yeah. of some natural so remedies couple, for yeah, horses. The ones that I've like anything that I'm going to be talking about is something that's worked for me here in the tropics specifically. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I mean, when you first begin to a lot of the herbs and everything else, you're learning, of course, what works in North America or Europe and everything else. And a lot of that we don't have here. And also, it's so much more powerful to work with the medicinal plants that grow around you because you're everyone's on the same vibration. Absolutely. So that's really important. I think what's most important for people to think about too with antibiotics and medicinal plants is a lot of people want quick fixes. Now, when you're working with natural products, it's not about a quick fix. 
it took them a while to get sick, it's going to take a while to heal. Mm-hmm. So one has to be patient and one has to be consistent. If you do it one day and not the other day, like um, we've had some of our horses, it's just like humans, when your immune system is a little bit lower, and this can just be a life, some people have a lower immune system, some animals do. And I had two horses, I had three, but now two horses, who always reoccurring fungus skin and you see that a lot in Costa Rica, horses and animals with fungus skin problems. And the other horse is nothing at all. Same climate, same food, same everything. Their immune system is stronger. And fungus is really something, it's also, there are horses that did have some trauma in their lives before I got them that I saved. So obviously their immune system was attacked. So this is something we have to be consistent at. If we're not consistent, it comes back like that. So that's where we don't want to use anything um, that's like antibiotics or anything like that. For that, it would be too much for the system. The system's already an overload. However, in an extreme infection, abscess or anything else, then then we want to work. We don't want the animal to suffer either. Exactly. So you really you don't want your animal to suffer, mm-hmm. right? Or your child or yourself. Yeah. So it's about being wise and thinking about what you're doing and asking for help from other people's advice, what's worked for them, you mm-hmm. know, be open. Someone just getting into having a horse or horses on their property, and I don't know if the answer to this varies very much between having one, two, or four horses, Mm -hmm. but about how much time each day or each week do you feel somebody should really be ready to commit to just focusing on their horses? Horses is a responsibility. And it's not like, oh, today I'm going to feed them, tomorrow I'm not. I mean, horses like routine. So when they get used to being fed at 7 in the morning, for instance, you can be late, but if you are late, you're stressing your horse. He is stressed. If he gets stressed, it's going to create the acids in his stomach. He's going to get colic. If he gets colic, he can eventually, he can die. So another thing is like I have always a pharmacy because vets here are far between. My vet has to come from San Jose, for instance. I used to have another horse vet here in Bribri, but he's no longer doing it. Most of the time he's in San Jose. So it's really hard. So I have like a minimum pharmacy that I have, which will be penicillin. I try to use penicillin first before antibiotics, but you need to know if just like us as the person or the animal allergic to penicillin, right? And antibiotics and anti-inflammatory and colic. So that is in my Western medicine box that I always have. And then I have my other things I use for colic, for instance, and inflammation. I use a lot of essential oils, homeopath, and medicinal plants. So if it's really acute, then I'll go first to the, for instance, the colic to make sure, because I'm not going to risk losing my horse. And then the treatment will continue with homeopath, essential oils, etc. So that's really, you want to make sure you have everything you need and get used to giving shots. Learn, have your vet teach you or someone who knows how to give shots to your horse. It's really important. You could save your horse's life. Also, another good thing to have is because snakes are all over Costa Rica, there are dangerous snakes. High doses of vitamin C injectable. You can only get it in San Jose. You can't get it sort of like in little villages or local vets don't have it. It's not easy to get, but you can get it. To have that, if your horse gets bitten by a snake, you give them high doses of vitamin C, you can save your horse. And then do you still try to take it to a vet at that point or is this like that that pretty um, much that dose really right then and there and then, then you cross your fingers your, and Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that it seems to be really the best remedy to save for horses. Um, for humans like we have here are in our local um, clinic, let's say, 
they have a lot of all the anti-venom for humans and everything here because it's very common and you just go there and it works perfectly and they're very good at it. I think most places in Costa Rica, they're very used to that for humans, not so much for animals. So that's why I, I discovered the vitamin C thing. A friend of mine, her horse got bitten. I told her about it. She went through hell and heaven in San Jose until she found it. They were able to give it to the horse in time, and it saved the horse. Right. So sick care is one topic aside. That, when you're treating a horse, that can all of a sudden take an exceptional amount of time mm -hmm. and effort and focus. I totally get that. Let's say during times when the horses are just, they're all doing well, weeks and months are going by, you've got them grazing in diverse fields, you might be bringing them some of these special grasses from other areas, which if you're designing with permaculture, they're not too far away. Mm -hmm. And so feeding them, rotating them through the pastures, that's going to take up some of your day. What else? What are the other common chores on a daily or weekly basis? Well, my horses go in at night into like a corral it, they go into their open-aired stalls and i'll show them to you later um they're open-air stalls that you don't want them here where we live in the tropics on the caribbean it's quite hot so you want a nice airflow i bring them in for two reasons if there's storms at night branches fall trees fall there's things out there that happen so i want my horses in safe also at night there's prowlers i mean we have gigantic snakes here boas tersopelos all those snakes and they're also wildcats as well, so I want them in at night to know that they're safe. It's for me, and they're used to it now, so they, they expect to go in at night. They're kind of spoiled. That said, a lot of horses are out, and that's fine too. My horses, which I bought at a young age, are from Turialba, at a big Andalusian Spanish breeding. All the horses are born out there. They grow up on the grass. They have the healthiest, strongest immune system, resistancy. It's perfect. So if the area is fine, I have a lot of trees here and branches fall when it rains and everything else. It depends on the lay of your land. If they're happy out and you have an open air shelter that they can go under if it rains, in and out, that's perfect too. It's going to be depending, or if, but if you have a place, if you're one of your horses sick, you want to be able to bring them in and keep them in if you need to. So that, that if you do that, then you have to muck out, right? You have to, pardon me? You have to clean the stalls. Okay. Every day. Muck out, you say. Yeah, muck okay. out. So yeah, mucking out, so you're cleaning the stalls. And if you do have stalls, do not make cement floors. Worst mistake. It's bad for their legs. You want earth, so it absorbs. Mm -hmm. And then we put shavings on, so it absorbs. And then you pick up the... Wood shavings. Wood shavings, so it mixes. And then we have which serves us great because we have lots of compost for the garden and everything else. Because you, they defecate yes. in that, yeah. stomp it out, and then you uh, yeah, scoop it Yeah, we have mounds that, you know, we create a certain pile, let it, and then we move on to another pile that gets old. We use it for the gardens. Where we live in this area, there's a lot of clay and very little topsoil. So it's really important to, we use that to create topsoil everywhere. If we have a lot, I'll just spread it everywhere once it's, you know, um, become mature and become like earth again. That said, there's another important thing, too, is, as I'm sure you know that in permaculture, you chop and you drop. You don't clean up. You know, let it stay there. Don't, you don't have to have a fancy golf course garden. It's way better for the land to just chop and drop. Or the dried leaves I'll collect, and I put it on top of all our vegetable gardens to protect it from the sun so it stays moist. It's the lazy way of watering. So there's all these things, making your own fertilizers from banana peels, coffee grains, eggshells. I do lots of those different things too, depending on what you need more, magnesium, potassium, 
adding nitrogen to the soil or whatever. But there's, it's not that complicated. At first when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is so daunting and I'm not a chemistry type person and I have to remember all that. I remember I was talking with Finca Tierra Ian and he started explaining things to me and I thought, oh my gosh, I'll never remember all this. My brain can't handle this. <laughs> but actually it's not so difficult. And I found other people that were able to explain really basically easy that I could understand. A lot of it on YouTube, really. There's a lot of great sites, especially from India, too, because it's a similar climate, or Florida, or parts of Australia, that compare to our lifestyle, um, what grows here, it's similar. And they have all their trials and errors, what works and works, and I, it's really helped me a lot. So you can learn a lot there, too. Okay. Well, I'd like to come back to that okay. question, just kind of get a bit of a summary, like quantitatively, about how much time do you spend per day or week tending to the horses? Okay. Like, what's for your me, commitment for how six, many horses? I have six horses. Okay. And so in the morning, I, I would say we spend three hours a, a day. day. Mm -hmm. And split up morning and night? Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. So in the morning, it's letting them out, uh, making sure they're watered, um, clean mucking out the stalls, leading them to the different pastures. In the afternoon, we bring them in, we clean all their hooves, we brush them. Brushing them is, is Every good. day. I don't brush them every day, but if I'm not brushing them every day, I'm looking over their body, scrapes, bites, bat bites at night, for instance. We have the, what do we call the vampire bats, you know, they like to. So all those things, we're looking for that. If you're always watching what's going on on your horse, and brushing is a good way of sort of checking to make sure what's not. Otherwise, things can fester very quickly. If you're not, we're in the tropics. Quickly. As you know, bacteria, know everything, quickly. right? So you really want to be careful of that. So it's always good to check. And plus, you want that, you're not, you just haven't got a horse that you're bringing in. Otherwise, why have a horse? You want to create that connection with your horse. You want to be, well, for instance, we let our horses out on the road and we'll just hang, graze with them. You know, lie on our backs, look at the sun, meditate, just spending the time. If that's all we're doing, or I'll be training the horses, riding, preparing them. I work a lot at Liberty with the horses, so I spend a lot more time with the horses. But on a minimum just of care and routine, I would say you, you want to think about spending, if it's the minimum, one to two hours for me. But I take really very good care of my horses. Do you think, what, what do you, how do you think that would scale for somebody who wants one or two horses? Yeah, you're about, about one or two same. horses, you're going to spend one or two hours a day, one and a half hours and that's just for feeding, cleaning, and everything else. Do you have any weekly or monthly maintenance? That's um, every unique? well, every two months we do their feet. Do you know, their feet. Trim their feet. Trim them. So trim you trim feet. the hooves. Mm -hmm. Trim the hooves. Worming. Now that's another thing is, and I have searched the internet, tried different things, just like many many other people out there. They're very much into natural healing and everything, and want to keep as much natural. But there's one thing; it just seems people cannot go by, and especially in the tropics especially in Costa Rica and Latin America and the tropics, worming is important. Mm -hmm. You don't worm the horse. That's where you see so many horses, you know, in Costa Rica that are out on the roads and you'll see really skinny horses. They're getting enough grass and food. That's not the problem. They're not being wormed. They're not being wormed because they often belong to low-income families and worming is not cheap. Um, they have enough problems just taking their own children to the dentist or the doctor, let alone the horse, right? So that's why those horses are skinny. They're full of parasites. Uh -huh. I've um, seen that for sure. So that's a program. It was one of my ideas to start a GoFundMe program to be able to go around to help these locals just by worming their horses. They'll have stronger horses for working that'll live longer, be healthier. And I know they can't afford it because each worming thing is like 7000 And you really have to do it three months. I tried six months. It's not enough. 
they'll get the parasites. It's, it's the tropics. Everything just grows so much faster here. Mm-hmm. As for humans, too, in general, most people find either once a year, once every six months, we'll take something to clean the parasites and then build up the flora again through probiotics and everything. Mm-hmm. But if you're finding yourself, you know, getting overly tired, no energy and different things, parasites. everyone looks for everything. And in the end, oh, it was parasites. So you have, you've brought, I guess, you, you've really started with a very unique niche of using the horses to integrate into the sustainability of your land project. So in which, from what I've gathered so far, you have yoga classes that are keeping the participants connected with the horses. What else are you doing to integrate the horses into sustaining your land project do they do work for you do you do any other kind of tourism based activities with them yeah we don't use them for working the land that said we could but i don't because i don't need it and our our land is very up and down it's not like we're it's permaculture so we're not plowing we're not turning over the earth in that way so they do help to keep it cut down like they roam everywhere and they mow the land they're great big benefit yeah they Mm -hmm. mow the land and they fertilize it as they move along so that's all good so that's a natural way so what we do with the horses really is i teach people different things um it can be people who are very advanced riders or passionate about horses and want to learn more about how to connect with horses energetically, uh, really have a conversation, understand their behavior, and really talk to them, and not talk to, only talk to them, listen and understand what the horse is saying to us. The horse is already there, you know, they're just waiting for us to slow down, ground ourselves, scent ourselves, and listen. And then so much happens in that moment. So, and during that moment, that's when people come through breakthrough, emotional breakthroughs as well. So it helps them at a mental, emotional level. Um, so we work a lot with the horses with that, doing equine therapy and um, working with kids as well. We have a, a little pony club, the Yogi Pony Club with our Cute. little local kids. And one woman, she, they're from Germany. She's, they were here and they went back to Germany because she wanted to take her daughter. They have a one-year-old who has a um, mental disability and they wanted some help from Germany. She wanted to learn a little bit more about the issues, but they're moving back here. And she used to ride horses, but she's disconnected. And she started coming to me because she wanted her older daughter, who's five years old, started having riding lessons. And so she asked me more about that. So she's coming back soon. And she wants me to teach her all about the connection with horses and everything. And at the same time, she wants to really work with her one-year-old daughter bit by bit with equine therapy. So we're going to see where we go with that, but we are going to be working with that. I'm not a psychologist. I'll be coming from the horse's aspect, keeping the person safe, understanding what the horse is saying, and um, working from that. And she'll be coming more from a therapist, a psychologist um, work. Those two elements are both important. Just the psychologist alone is not good enough. You need someone with horse experience and vice versa, right? So that's very important. But that's a future project. So what I do now is also we've started recently mounted archery with horses. Fun. And archery, yeah, it's amazing. It is the most... Um, empowering uh, most freeing it's also art it's like a dance you know and to have this connection through yoga and our breath and then the archery mounted on the horse it just creates i mean people's face just light up. Uh-huh. i mean and i've had people who haven't ridden horses or have never done archery and it's just like after one hour's class they're thinking 
oh my God, I thought I was interested in this, but this is just amazing. It is. It's just, and it's very, it really is very healing as well. It's just, you find this joy and you connect to this deep joy inside and this sort of freeing thing, empowering. You feel strong. You feel you can, I can go out there and fight again life. It's okay. It's going to be all right. So I, I really enjoy doing that. And we, I do it together with Johanna, who works with me. She's from Sweden. She came as a volunteer many, many years ago when I lived in Kawita still. And since then, she's worked with us. She's a yoga teacher, too. She did our training with us here. And, she now sh and she's very experienced with horses and training as well. So we've created that part together. And then another thing that we do is a lot of um, meditation and mindful meditation. And this can be what's with the horses. Is another like class that you provide? It's a class. Mm -hmm. So people come, the horses are free. We sit in a circle and I take them on a guided meditation, pranayama, breath work. And we're really lowering everyone's um, grounding people, but at the same time, their vibration is becoming higher, more in, um, at a, a higher intensity. And when this happens, the horses, you can just see them. They come up and they start to hang, they choose people. Whatever they feel that energy is in the person, they're either reflecting it or they're, sometimes the horse is coming up because that person they feel can help them. Often it is they're going to that person to help them. And I've just seen it's not something we ask of them. It just happens by itself with the horses. I create the space, that safe space for the human and the horses to interact. And the rest happens by itself. I mean, I've read a lot about this and known about this in the past, but it's not something I was going to do it my horses took over and decided we're doing this so I said okay it started with me my experiences I had years ago a friend of mine she um, was a yoga teacher and she was going to give a yoga class she was actually doing the YTT and she has um, rheumatoid arthritis since a young age and it was giving her a lot of problems and pain we were in the pasture sitting on the ground in meditation and I was actually taking some photos and one of my horses walked straight up to her put her head about that far from her head and stood there for 20 minutes without moving. The horse came up in her mind at the exact time this person was thinking, oh, the pain is really strong. How am I going to give a class this evening? During that time, the pain started to go down. Then the pain went. At the exact moment that pain left, my horse turned and walked away. Another time for me at an emotional level, one of my horses, I'd lost my cousin who was like my sister for me. She'd passed away for unknown reasons and I was in a lot of grief. I just went out and sat with the horses, and one of my horses came up, put his head here, here, sort of went up and down, almost of like clearing chakras. I don't know what was going on, but my grief and my anger and frustration turned into joy and connection with my cousin. And as soon as I was in that place of harmony, in that, that sattvic feeling of well-being, my horse left, and it was gone. And so that was my first opening into that. And so since then, since the, like I do the yoga teacher training, so in those yoga teacher trainings, we'll have a meditation with the horse. It's not so much about the horses. They're doing their yoga training, but we do interact with the horses. And so often the students have emotional releases, blockages. A lot of young girls who come with their emotional problems, you know, of preoccupation of how they're seen by others, whether it's their weight, their beauty, their this, their that and or their, their issues with their parents or relationships. And these things are just, they don't even know why, but they emotionally start to cry. It's released, and when it is, the horse walks away. And for mm -hmm. men. So I've started opening up the space, share, allowing this space to happen for people. Yeah, I can really see that. You know, I, when I first heard about equian, 
Equine therapy. Equine therapy. Thank you. <laughs> Those Congo monkeys, monkeys are pretty close, huh? <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. Um, Whole families around us. Beautiful. Uh, that's another beast. And that's really what I was saying is, you know, I, I didn't quite know what to think about it. I heard like, okay, horse therapy, sure. Okay, you like horses and therapy, like it goes together. And it wasn't until, you know, some years later that I had a chance to have a horse around and really drop into what a unique presence mm. she was. And, you know, further in my life, I've gotten to tune in more with sloths, which are another amazing being that, you know, we talk about vibration and some listeners may not have much of an orientation to that type of languaging or talking about things in my not really have spent time tuning into the different vibratory frequencies of different animals or even themselves from morning to night. And each other. Right. But the more we do that, the more we practice mindfulness and meditation and spending time with ourselves and others in their changes. And we start, you know, that many people can understand there's a very different energy in spending time with a dog versus a cat. Mm-hmm. Right. So any listeners that are wondering, like, okay, what's this equine therapy all about? You can think about that. You know, for some, a dog is really comforting. For some, a cat is very comforting. And and yet and they're very different from each other. And yet compared to a horse, they are very similar because a horse is such a massive animal. It's their their the grounded nature, the stillness of them is tangible mm-hmm. and yet the timidness and the unpredictability of them for anyone who's spent any time with them fosters a feeling of having to be on guard and always like really waiting to like you have to stay tuned to a horse to not get bucked trampled you know because it gets spooked in a moment or something or your thoughts go stray and it gets distracted by mm-hmm. that because it's more tuned in than we are exactly and yeah, I just have really come to appreciate over the years the sensation that can be felt when we tune into different types of animals. And so what you're doing with the horses is really amazing. And I thank you so much for spending time sharing all of these advice with people that want to do it. I know I have gone through the cycle many times in my adventure zoning land of wanting to have a horse. And then I always step back to like, oh my God, that is way more responsibility than I'm ready for. And uh, yet some people do it and it's a cornerstone of their life and their happiness and their prosperity. And so it's really been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Before we go, what kind of advice would you give to someone who owns land? Mm Mm-hmm. Let's say they've got enough space to plant the biodiversity that you're talking about and they're willing to do the homework um, to take good natural care of their animals. What kind of advice would you give someone who's like ready to pull the trigger? They're ready to get their first horse and make it part of the reality. In a way of looking for a horse or in a way of... um... Sure, looking for it and looking for a horse could be and or the first stages of orienting oneself to being a horse owner. That's a big question and we've just got a few minutes left, but one piece of advice. One piece of advice. If you're looking for a horse, be careful of you thinking, oh, there's that point where you can trust your heart and that's the horse for you. Or it's your ego saying, oh, it's a beautiful horse, I want it. And maybe it's not the right horse. So take your time. Look around. Go visit lots of horses. Spend time with that horse. If you've already got the horse or you're getting the horse or you've chosen the horse, when you bring that horse into your home, 
realize that you've taken that horse away from his friends, his home, his family. Mm. The horses are like us. They're herd animals. They're not solitary animals like cats. They're herd animals. They have friends that they've lived with. They've had family members. They've had their home and their routine. And they're coming in into a new place. So you just want to bring that horse in, introduce it to the area, and maybe spend one, two, three weeks a month just interacting with your horse, maybe not even riding it, really just sitting with them, meditating with them. You don't, even without touching, just grab a chair, take your book, sit out in the field, enjoy your life, whether the horse is 10, 20, 30 meters away from you, it doesn't matter. Let him get used to your energy, and you used to his energy. And at the same, don't get out of this mindset of to-doing, and just being. Enjoy having a horse. Don't make it a big work and to-do list and accomplishment. Horses bring so much joy and peace and healing in our lives. And we want to do that for the horse as well. And the biggest advice for me is just be with your horse. Wow. I love it. Thank you so much. I can't imagine a better piece of advice for owning a horse and starting that journey. So you have so much to share and you are doing it here on the land. You're doing it in the region, in the community here. And you're talking about, uh, well, you're, you've begun putting together an online course that mm-hmm. you'll have eventually. So why don't you go ahead and take a minute and tell our listeners where they can find you online and where they can be looking in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we do have our website, which is horses.yoga. Mm-hmm. That's more about the retreats or the yoga teachers, our internships, volunteers for people who want to come here as a volunteer or as an intern to learn what we do here and acquire skills. And um, what's very important is that we live, uh, we do live as a community. So it's you want to be, um, you know, live in harmony. So that's important. That's one way to find us on Instagram, of course, is where we post a lot of our daily activities and what we're doing and It can be just little things of what's going on today with the horse, or it can be about, oh, we're going to have this class or this and that. So our Instagram, that's horses.yoga as well. Okay. And then we have our Facebook, which is, I believe it's horses.yoga now, or it's kindred spirits. I'll have a a link in the show notes. I'm not quite sure about that. I must say Facebook, we're more, a little bit more lazy behind the Facebook. I've sort of veered away from that as a more, for other reasons. But we still do have things going on, especially everything that goes on Instagram anyways goes on to the Facebook, right? And so those are, and YouTube, our YouTube channel, which is also horses.yoga, under horses.yoga and kindred spirit CR. It falls under both names. So you have a lot of our video, our instructional videos up there. So those are all free. And then we have a a deeper, um, where we go into um, deeper courses online, which we have had on Patreon you know, patreon.com, so people can subscribe to that. But we are thinking of in the future of changing that and having that directly with us on our website. I just think we've found that it's not working out the way that we want it on Patreon, so we'll probably be changing that. But for the moment, we're still on Patreon. Okay, and that I think I caught was Yogi Horsewoman? Yogi Horsewoman. That's Uh Yogi, you're right, Yogi Horsewoman is our YouTube channel as well. It's our podcast our podcast channel, which we invite different people and we talk about yoga, horses, anything that relates to well-being, our connection with horses, our connection with yoga, our connection to nature, 
I talk to people that are very much in the natural horse world, um, liberty training, connecting with horses, yogi teachers throughout the world, people I've met and know that give yoga, for instance, in Kenya and Cyprus, in the States, in Mexico, all these different people that I've met in my life and their travels and their experiences and how they live. So that's on our podcast at Horsey Yogi Horsewomen. And also for people, they can also directly, if they have a question, I'm happy to help or see what's going on and what we're doing. They can always um, connect at terry at horses.yoga by email. Right. And just to put it out there, if there's anyone who is just in love with this lifestyle, you said something about you have room for residents here on, in your project? A residence like in an internship volunteer mm-hmm. way, yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. that's super. Yeah, that's all year long. Beautiful. Well, we'll have all of those uh, links for people to find you. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. This has been a pleasure. It's been very enlightening. All right, horse lovers, that was for you. I hope that our conversation gave you something to build confidence with. Big thanks to Terry for being so generous with her time and knowledge. I love the way that Terry incorporates medicinal herbs into her horse's pastures to minimize the need for conventional medical care. I was also fascinated to hear about her process of unshoeing conventionally raised horses. So many of our modern day practices have lost their context and have become norms guiding people to abandon contemplation for the sake of convention. At the time that we're releasing this episode, Kindred Spirits is in full swing with this year's yoga teacher training, horse yoga retreats, and internships. If you'd like to be part of what Terry's offering, be sure to check out those links in the show notes. Speaking of links in the show notes, you'll also find there a link to our website's resources page. It's a thoughtful list of books, videos, apps, courses, and products that I thought you might find useful on your sustainability journey. Some items are free, others are for a fee, and some of them can earn the show an affiliate commission if you choose to make a purchase with them. If you don't want to link through the show notes, you can simply go to sharinginsights.net and click the resources page in the navigation bar there. That's all I got for you this week. Stay awesome and stay connected.